What a beautiful morning we're having together as a church family. Amen? Amen. Happy New Year. We're so glad to have you here at Calvary today. I'm Pastor Michelle Mercer, and uh, we've just had just a wonderful season together as we wrapped up 2023, and now we're in 2024. How many people are happy to see a brand new year ahead of us? Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Some of you are like still holding on to that little bit to, to the Christmas, but, and we are too, in case you didn't notice. We're holding on a little bit, a little bit longer, but uh, we are so excited about what God is going to do this year at Calvary Church in 2024. And this is my first new year at Calvary, but part of the tradition that I've come from in the last couple of churches and the last church that I was the lead pastor at uh, is this tradition of naming our year together. And so we're going to do that next week in our Sunday morning service, but we want to give you the heads up so you can bring people, you can make sure you're here, and we can all be on the same page for 2024. And in naming your year, some of you do that perhaps in your personal life. Is there anyone here who does that and maybe gives a name, a word to your year? Now, we know that this can be done in a secular fashion in the sense of this, like, manifesting what's going to happen in 2024. We actually don't buy into that. Instead, we actually discern what God wants us to be focused on for this year, discern it, receive it in Jesus' name, and if the Lord drops something into your heart, a word or a passage of Scripture that you just want to make your theme for that year as a commitment, to saying yes to walking in the Spirit and in accordance with what the Spirit is saying, then I would encourage you to just to go ahead and do that. Do that in your own home. Do that in your own personal life, but together corporately as a church. We've been talking this through as a staff, and we are, we're going to be naming our year, and I'm keeping it a secret for one more week. Are you okay with that? One more week, and we look forward to all the staff being back from vacation then, and we're going to really launch our year together. So thank you for your faithfulness as we journey forward in a new year as a church family. Well, today our message is kind of a, a one-on-its-own message prior to our, our naming of the year, but this message is called Assembly Required. Assembly Required. How many people got some new gifts for yourself or for your grandkids or your kids this year that need it assembling. Put up your hand really high. Be honest. If you had to put together that Lego set or that new bike or, or perhaps that new stereo system, someone's saying, yes, that's what, that's what you wish you had. But we're, we, there's always some assembly that's required of something new. And uh, when I think of putting things together that are new and need assembled, I think of Ikea. <laughs> Ikea. How many people are the person who's designated in your home to put together the Ikea or any kind of other Wayfair materials, whatever you get? How many people, you're the designate, like you're the one who is putting it together. All right. Now, how many people, you are the supervisor. Put up your hand really high. If you're the supervisor of putting together that furniture in your home, uh, we are going to be uh, heading into the, the book of Micah. And I thought there's something similar between Micah and assembling of things. And uh, Micah goes through this series of going uh, in, back and forth, back and forth from judgment, then restoration. Judgment, then restoration. Doesn't that sound like putting together furniture at your house? Right? 
I hate to say it, but uh, I, I am definitely not the person who puts together the furniture in our house. Dwayne is so kind to do that, and he's so kind to put up with the judgment as I sit there and say, are you reading those directions right? Is that what it says on there? Are you sure that's where it goes? And, uh, and then I walk away because he's kind enough to not say a word and just continue carrying on. And then I come back and go, oh, honey, that's such a great job. You just did it. You put it, it's coming along great. It's way to go. I'm so excited about the hope that we have to have this new furniture. And then all of a sudden I go, are you sure that's the way it goes? Are you sure that you're doing it exactly right? I think you could do this maybe a little differently. And then I come back and see that perhaps he did do something wrong and he's fixed it without letting me know. And I go, congratulations. That looks so good. I'm so excited. He's like, yes, Michelle, it's, it's good. Go away. <laughs> Assembly required. In some ways, we could actually call this, this message today um, required assembly required of the assembly because there's these requirements that are, are really, uh, we, when we dig right through the passages in Micah, we find the requirements of the Lord. And there's sometimes when I come into a new season where I have to come to a point where I say, God, what are you requiring of me? Because I know what I could get accomplished. I know, know what I want to do. I know my to-do list. I know my goals for this next year. But what is it that you require of me, Holy Spirit? In the book of Micah, it's, it's, it's complex in many ways, and by no means will we unco- uncover all the implications of this wonderful text this morning. But I would love for us to focus on what this one particular passage means while also understanding the context for Micah. So here we go. Here's a brief overview. You might feel a little bit like you're in class today, but I, I really, I know the words might be small. We're gonna, they're going to become bigger in a moment, but the context of Micah looks somewhat like this. You could break it down a few ways. But we have the accusation of the people of Israel, the answer for the people of Israel, and the hope of Israel, and ultimately of the world. And so there's these overarching themes that are interspersed with warnings and judgment on God's people, countered by message of mercy and messages of hope and restoration. And if we were to break down this book into three sections, the first section would be this section, chapter 1 to 3, called The Accusation. And and I just want to remind us, I mean, this was so beautiful that we were able to go from communion into this passage because we come with a good perspective from a New Testament point of view that we understand that, that we are truly made blameless before the Lord because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of the shed blood of Jesus, we come redeemed already. But I do believe that there's a principle here that before God's going to really bless, before God's going to lead us into that next stage, he is going to confront the sin in our lives. Why? Because he loves us so much. Amen? He loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants us to be able to move forward in freedom in Christ. And so Micah is bringing a word of confrontation to Israel's leaders and prophets for their dishonest ways. You see, the leaders, they are getting wealthy off the back of the poor. Does that sound like anything to do with uh, any, any kind of government systems everywhere? <laughs> Not just governments, but people in their nature. 
We tend to want to get uh, ahead off the backs of other people. We don't mean to at times, but sometimes that's the way it goes. And so we're looking at the scriptures, and we see that the leaders in Israel and Judah, they were getting wealthy off of the poor, stealing their land, taking bribes, breaking the laws of the Torah. And God loved them so much that he says, I can't stand for it any longer. And Micah, Micah who walks in the ways of Isaiah the prophet as well, he speaks to them. And he speaks as a prophet, and he speaks as a prophet to the prophets. Because the prophets, they were no better than the leaders of Israel. And they say whatever people wanted them to say. In fact, they took bribes to say exactly what the people wanted to say. So if the people wanted the blessings of God, the prophecies about God's future and what he was doing, and they just wanted them to say a certain thing, they would just pay a few more dollars to that prophet. And they would say only what the people wanted to hear. And Micah, he brings a rebuke, a judgment, but he brings hope for the restoration of God's people. Micah says these words in that first part of the the book, chapter 1 to 3, and he says these words, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. So we go from this, the accusation to the answer in the middle of this book of Micah in chapters 4 to 5 and do you know, they give the, he gives the answer, and we find this to be messianic, messianic prophecies. Prophecies that would show Israel that Messiah is going to come. He's going to be the answer. And the answer to the problem of sin and injustice has always been the Messiah. Amen? It's always been the Messiah. It's been Jesus I was reading the testimony of Aidan Friedman. He's the new director for Jews for Christ. How many people have heard of that organization? And Jews for Christ in Canada, they have a new, um, a new director or CEO, and he's, he was raised from an Orthodox Jewish family in a home, but not walking in his faith. And then as a, as a young person, he met a woman his, who would be his future wife and her family, and they were Christians, and they introduced him to the New Testament. You know, because the Old Testament, understand, people who are from a Judaic background, they understand the Old Testament. They love the Word of God. And so he was given from this family for the first time a New and an Old Testament. The New Testament, the Old Testament. Now, he was taught growing up, he, he explains in his testimony that he was, that, that Christians do not believe, or excuse me, that Jewish people do not believe that, that Jesus is the Messiah, and so there's no need for the New Testament. And don't even read it was the words that he was given, but he was given both an Old and New Testament, and he was one night praying, and he started to ask God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that we believe in as well. And he said, do Christians even know? Do they even really understand that the Messiah has to come from as a descendant of David? He says, do they even understand God? Do they understand that Jesus would have to have been from that lineage? And not having read the New Testament before, before, he felt this urge to, to turn to that part of that Bible that was new to him. 
And as he opened the scriptures, he moved right to Matthew chapter 1. And there was the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And he said that moment, it absolutely changed his life. See, Israel is waiting, waiting for Messiah to come. And there were scriptures all throughout the Old Testament that would point to his coming. And we talked about it even during the Christmas season. God has been sharing his promise about the Messiah for generations. And generations prior to Jesus' birth. And it's actually... Uh, The passage that Pastor Bill, who did our communion for us this morning, Pastor Bill quoted on Christmas Eve, it came from Micah chapter 5 during this part that's called the answer in this book. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 was the scripture that was quoted by the wise men who had been searching and researching of when the king of the Jews would be born and where he would be born. So those who follow a liturgical calendar, you know that yesterday was Epiphany, the day of Epiphany. And, we, and often in other cultures, and they'll celebrate and, and remember the fact that the wise men came to be able to give their gifts to Jesus and, and representing all the nations coming before the Messiah. But they knew. And when they came to King Herod, they said, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. And they knew that he'd be born in Bethlehem. And they quoted Micah 5, verse 2 and verse 4. And together, the answer that was given to them. Do we have that scripture up there, just of that Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and 4? I'm just going to see if it's there. No, it's okay. The answer to the one who we are searching for is Jesus, and it has always been Jesus. So we have the accusation to God's people. We have the answer who's Jesus. That never changes. And then we have this hope, the hope. And Micah, he does this great great job of just revealing the hope that they had. You see, the hope was not in just being able to turn from their sin. The hope was not to be able to live better in companionship with one another within their, with their brothers and sisters instead of stealing from one another, instead of being uh, harboring bitterness or, or being in despair. Instead of living in that kind of atmosphere, it wasn't just the hope of having that freedom. But the hope that would come for the people through Micah the prophet was the hope of the character of God. The hope in the character of God. And this is where you and I have hope today. It's in the character of who God is. You see, the character of God cannot be undermined by the behavior of God's people. If anything should be said amen to, this right here should be said amen. Amen? The character of God cannot be undermined by the behavior of God's people. Micah 7.18, it says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives 
and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. If you carried on in verse 19, it says, You will again have compassion on us and will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. The character of God, who he truly is, cannot be undermined by the behavior of God's people. So what does it mean to undermine something? Well, if you look literally at what the word undermined means, it has to do with mine, mining, actually. Undermined means to erode the base or the foundation of a rock formation. To erode the base or the foundation of a rock formation the character of God is so strong that it cannot be eroded. It cannot be upheaved. <laughs> Instead, bad behavior doesn't erode God's perfect character nor his loving kindness. Why? Because he is the rock. He is rock solid. David wrote this song, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And he starts that song in praise saying, I love you, Lord, my strength. Can I encourage you today? If you need strength if you need fortitude, may you remind yourself or may you remind your spirit of why you love the Lord and it's because of the hope we have in him. The fact that he never changes, his character doesn't change. And what happens is that we think sometimes when people, God's people or other people or people who are, are maybe a shifting power and there's a, a shift of power and there's a sense of those who are oppressing others that we get discouraged and we think God must not be good. God must not be in this. And we don't we often forget the fact that the character of God can, does not change even though people perhaps try to erode who he is. Jesus, he explained to his followers that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to, into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on what? The rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. We can build our life on Jesus because he is the rock of our salvation. His foundation never falters. And I know I'm preaching to the choir today, but it's important to remember. And why is it important to remember? Because the justice of God is based in the character of God. That God, he brings justice. God, he brings accountability. He brings accusation against his people in Israel, in Micah, because of the fact that he does not change. His character never falters, and his character is full of loving kindness, which is mercy as we know it. This is who God is. He's relented in bringing you hope and healing and restoration and he feels the same for his people there's only one thing he asks of us 
And this is where we land today. One thing he asks of the people in Micah, and one thing he asks of his people in light of the cross, this is the passage all this preamble has been leading up to, that some assembly is required. It's Micah 6, verse 6 to 7. The prophet says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and calves a year old? Talking about sacrifice. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, thousands of sacrifice, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Again, this pouring out of offerings. Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? I mean, that is the sign of, of absolute uh, despair over the sin that you are in. And he says, shall I offer even that, the first of my fruits, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In verse 8 of chapter 6, it says this, He, God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I thought it might be helpful to look at another translation, and the ESV says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What is good and what is required is the repetitiveness of the, the nature of those words to remind us that it is required. It's the same thing. It's ethically right to do this, and it's also required. Yahweh seeks, he asks but more strongly than that, he requires it to be done. No going outside of the lines, off of the paperwork for what came in the instruction box. No, he requires this action to be taken by people who call them children, themselves children of God. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Now, I picked up this really cute little... Uh, dessert tray, which I actually Googled a picture of it so you could see what it's supposed to look like right here. See up in that corner up there? This dessert tray I picked up before Christmas because I had a couple of different gatherings at my house and I needed to be prepared and it was on sale and it was cute. So I went to guess where? Oh, they all said all different things. Ikea. There's a trend here. Ikea. So I went to Ikea <laughs> because I was dropping off her oldest daughter at school and I happened to be there at that time. So I go to Ikea. I get this little tray, uh, three tier or two tier tray, excuse me, um, that's nice and green and so it could be used festively at Christmas and I was going to use it for treats. And the day before we had people over, um, I, I went to put it together. It should have been simple, people. And I almost brought the pieces with me today. <laughs> but I didn't want to lose them because I have to return them. And do you know why? Because there were parts missing. How could there? You had one job to put these. Anyways, so there were parts missing. So you couldn't put it to, together. And it had no longer the ability to contain anything. Or to be useful at all. Assembly was required 
but there were parts missing. And my fear for us, my concern for us as the people of God, people who walk in light of the cross and in light of salvation and all that we've been given in grace and mercy, that we will walk into a new year, a new season, even as the church, and we will forget that there are certain requirements that God asked for us, and they're not difficult. They're actually plain and simple. But he asks, asks us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Act justly, it comes from this word, mish, mishfet. A foundational, or a mitzpet, a foundational value of Judaism. It's not just about any man-made laws, it's about the ethics of doing what is morally right. This is, gets a little tricky, doesn't it? Because what is morally right can look different in different contexts. But at the heart of this was the, the ethical duty to do what is right for mankind, what is right for one another. Do we act justly in the carrying out of our business or our personal lives? Do we love mercy? Because love mercy, mercy and loving kindness, they're these words that are used interchangeably. Think firstly how you can show kindness in your everyday circumstances, but it's not just kindness, like doing kind deeds, which often happens in February where we have these days where we're encouraged to do kindness, do deeds of kindness. It's not just that. It's actually also loving kindness that is also showing mercy. And when does mercy happen? Mercy happens when we're covering over an offense. Mercy happens when we are giving forgiveness, though it's undeserved. Act justly for the good of humankind. Love mercy. Not just do kindness or, or show kindness, but love showing kindness. Love extending mercy and forgiveness over and over again. You know, over the Christmas holidays, there was, uh, the Lord just, I, I had this little conversation with the Lord, and I said, how often should I forgive that offense. And I, I knew the answer, but I, I asked anyways, and he said, over and over and over again. There is a loving kindness that is in the character of God, that is the character of God, that we who walk in the freedom of receiving forgiveness in Christ can give forgiveness over and over and over again because of the mercy that's been shown us. And here's the great part. James 2 verse 13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. I, I had a friend, he used to always say, he still does say these things. Yeah, he's a pre preacher and he'll say, um, you don't want to, to get justice in your own life. <laughs> if you got what you justly deserved... It would be a bad day, wouldn't it? 
If everything that you did, every wrong that you did, every misspoke, every misstep, if you were held to judgment in that moment uh, and there was no grace of God over your life, it would be a pretty big mess. Someone say amen. It's not just me. But we want mercy. We want grace. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And when we show that to the world around us, when we show this loving kindness in the workplace, when we show this loving kindness in our schooling and in our classrooms, when we show this loving kindness even in our own families where we forgive and we show mercy over and over again, the love of God, the character of God, that rock, that foundation, it comes to light. Act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Tiswana, or Tisana. It's the sana. No, it's not. It's not the sana. But it sounds like that. The word that's for humbly. Humble. Show humility. Be modest. Show your walking with God, not what you have that's better than everybody else. When Jesus was questioned about what command in the law was the most important one to him, in Matthew 22, he he said the words, he summarized, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what it all wraps up to be. God held Israel accountable. He held the people of God in, in, in light of understanding all the scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and, and making change in our lives. In light of all of this, then it's important for us to look at this as well as the requirements of the assembly of God's people. He asks, asks us to do these three things for the sake of of our neighbors. That's the people right next to you. Turn around, look at them for a second, say hi. That's the people in your household. Turn around, give them a wink, nudge, nudge, in our household. And that's for the people in our community. Treating others the way you want to be treated. Treating people justly with mercy and see that we are walking humbly with our God. With God's people, there's no room for blurred lines. And wielding power due to position or finances. With God's people, there's no room for cheating the system, whether that be on our taxes, or in our business, or in the classroom. Just because everyone's doing it does not mean that's how you walk justly. It's not how you walk humbly before your God. With God's people, there's no room for turning your face away from the everyday injustices that happen in the world around us and in our communities. In the downtown streets of Peterborough, in the workplace, in the schoolyard, overseas, in the mission field, We can't turn our eyes from these things. We must. We're required to do do justice. To love mercy. 
and to walk humbly with our God. In this new year, may we make room in our lives to do just that. Display justice as it's in our power to act. Some would say human dignity is the basis for justice. Human frailty, may I say, is the reason for mercy. And human destiny is the motivation for walking a life reflective of the humble ways of Christ. May the people see that in Calvary Church. May that they see that in the people of God. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up this morning. And I think it's fitting that Again, I feel like we've just, we've had church today in God's house. We've acknowledged who he is and who we are in his presence. We've acknowledged the cross and the great sacrifice that was made. But I believe there is some requirement even in our own hearts as we head into a new year. Together, but also individually in your own households and families. That as we think about all the wonderful things, the goals we have, the way we want to live, may we not remember the things that affect others more than ourselves. Can I tell you, and you can go ahead and start playing if you'd like, but can I I tell you this just as your pastor? I'm so glad that for the most part, the business of selling this building and this land is done before going into the new year. Now, the closing we know is in February, so we just continue to pray. It all comes together. But for the most part, we know we are headed towards that finish line, and, and the big stuff is of the past is off of our plate. Do you know why? I'm glad. The reason I'm glad is because they were getting so consumed with land swapping and with getting, making a dollar and, and making sure in this, in this passage here, so consumed with physical things that they were missing out on the mission of being God's people. And I know that the reason all of you and the board and the congregation membership wanted to move forward was so that we could get to the mission of being the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. It doesn't mean that there's not big decisions to be made in the, in the years ahead. We're so grateful to have like these five years to be able to work through those and, and move quickly on what's next, but it, things take time, don't they? But this is a good, a good reset, going back to the instructions. Making sure we have all the right parts. Will we act justly, thinking about others more than ourselves? Will we love showing mercy and kindness to, to everyone that the Lord brings across our path, including one another? And will we posture ourselves, not in a pride that, hey, look what we've got, but a, but a humble confidence in whose we are. In the fact that we are children of God who walk in obedience to his next steps, even when we can't see the full picture, because we trust him 
because we love him and he is our rock. He doesn't shake. He wants us to be dependent on him. And so if that's where you are today, you're, you know you're fully dependent on him, then not in a posture to earn his favor, but out of an expression of being a child of God, would you commit with, with me as we head into this new year to do those three things well? To be aware and not turn your eye to the needs that are in this community? That you would make the extra effort to show loving kindness and even when you don't have all the pieces even when that person in your own family or your own workplace or, or wherever you are has turned on you and you are disappointed. Would you choose humility over pride over and over again? Would you stand with me? We're going to have the worship team. They're going to pray, or play Excuse me, this song through once. I want you to take some time between you and God. Last week, we had a beautiful time of prayer together. It was just this wonderful time. We want to make room in this new year for God to work in our lives and Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. So we're going to do that right now. We still have time. We're going to open our hearts up to the Holy Spirit and just say, move and speak in a way that I understand how you want me to do these three things this year. I believe God is a personal God. He'll speak personally about some kind of action or behavior or circumstance that he wants you to bring change, to follow his instructions. And he's going to equip you and empower you to do just that. So let's take time to reflect individually and corporately as a body, and then we're going to sing this song in praise. So let's pray together. Jesus, as we take this time to examine our hearts, God, not out of guilt or shame, but instead out of a determination to reflect the love and freedom we have in Christ in a way that will shine bright in this year ahead. I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly to each individual here today about what you require of them, what you want to assemble in their own hearts and lives that will change everything for the future. And we take this time right now to receive from you in Jesus' name. Let's keep our eyes closed for just a few minutes. Worship team, play for us, even as we listen to Holy Spirit.